Hi, and welcome to Thinking With, a long-form, unpolished conversation. I'm Kyle, an architect and artist. And I'm Kat, an artist and filmmaker. In this season, we're thinking with Chris Krause. Join us in our nine-part discussion on I Love Dick, a book by Chris Krause, and a TV show by Joey Soloway and their ensemble team, starring Catherine Hahn and Kevin Bacon. We highly recommend that you watch along with us. Check out each TV episode and then come back to the corresponding podcast to hear our film analysis and personal discussions that use parallels from our own lives to help us understand this masterpiece by Chris Krause. Check out the book if you haven't read it yet. It features a lot in our upcoming episodes. Here's a quick recap of the pilot for the TV show. We meet Chris and her husband, Sylvia, who temporarily locate from New York City to Texas. Sylvia has been invited by celebrated artist Dick to undertake an academic residency, and Chris ends up deciding to stick around after her film is dumped from the Venice Film Festival. The couple go to dinner with Dick, an event which starts a domino effect of sexual fantasy, professional battles, and personal journeys that will confront all concerned. about the process I went through on the weekend on Sunday night when I went to Marilyn one of Marilyn Freeman's no, sessions no. online it's a it's a sort of a set of conditions that enable you to look at a process through a different lens and experience something slightly differently so Marilyn Freeman is a moving image artist but they're also a spiritual director and they're a contributor to the special issue on auto theory that I'm co-editing cool nice and so I've been following them on Instagram and finding it really interesting, like really, really intriguing, the kind of work that they do. And so they work with a Benedictine sort of um, priory process, uh, but also identifies as being agnostic, which is a, just a very interesting combination. Uh, like a lot of the people that were in this workshop um, were from the Benedictine sort of priory practice themselves. So Marilyn sort of disclosing that they're agnostic, I found really fascinating. So there is a there is a there is a practice for reading scriptures called Lexi. I think it's Lexio um, Divina, which is like Latin. So there 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 are four things that you do, and you re you repeat reading the scripture, and you go through these kind of four different um, sort of different parts of this process and so what Marilyn has done is they've created their own version of this process called Cinema Divina and it's the process by which they film things it's their practice of making moving image work and then they use this moving image work in these in what they call uh, these contemplative practice sessions uh, and this is done with community groups I've never, I've never seen moving image kind of worked within this way. It's absolutely fascinating, and I really enjoyed it. So you, uh, you watch their film the first time, and it's about reading the film. You know how just like you would normally read anything. You know anything that you kind of encounter, like a poem or a film or mm -hmm. a piece of scripture. Um, and this, this, this particular moving image work focused on on grief. It was the grief of their uh, partner's brother passing away. And so we were invited to kind of share our reflections on that uh, with the group. And then we went into a second round of watching this film again. And the second time around, it was about, um, I think it was about responding. It was noticing how you respond uh, to the film. Uh, let me just double check that. Have I got that right? No, I lie. It's reflecting. So you reflect on what is stirring in you. Like what is, yep. what is moving you? Um, and then we were invited to reflect back to, to a smaller group. And then you, we watched it a third time um, and we were invited to respond, like notice what you are being invited into. How is your heart speaking to you? What does it say? The film um, kind of becomes this vector into yourself. So, so through, I've never seen this done before, the process of watching someone else's film then allows for self-reflection and the, the final the final time that we we watched the film was about resting with it like what um 
like what is your attention being drawn to what kind of intention can you set for yourself uh, that has come from this reflection um you know in your everyday life it was just it, it was just a completely different way of yeah. viewing moving image yeah and seeing yes. it connect to someone else to this community um and i tried it yesterday i only did it twice but that i that repetition of watching of watching the first episode of i love dick yes and coming to it first like reading it this is my initial response and then trying to watch it again and notice what was happening inside me well it was i love this I've never, this is so exciting <laughs> yeah shit so do what what did you how how did it go how did what did you feel well that it was just two completely different experiences because my natural inclination mm -hmm. when coming to watching anything particularly if i know that i'm going to be speaking about it or um it's it's of academic interest or artistic mm -hmm, interest mm -hmm. is that i will analyze it and it'll be yes. so in my head and i'll be i'll be trying to make all of these you know really smart connections yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and completely yeah. disengaged with how it's making me feel so the second yeah. time around was this opportunity to 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 be like oh that feels icky oh that feels really uncomfortable what does mm. that make me feel like how how what does that remind me of and mm -hmm. it gave me this really rich insight it, it made me able to kind of mm. connect the intellectual with the really embodied experiences it was like yeah total eureka like what an amazing <laughs> way of <laughs> being able to actually engage with Fuck. another piece of work i mean is so this is is this auto theory because i should be like... uh yeah i think it i think it is it's it's definitely um it's Marilyn Freeman's particular process that they go through for their work. It's sort of um, an embodied experience with the process of making the films, but the way that they teach it, it's it's sort of like a an embodied, um, it gives you the opportunity to take what it is that you're receiving, and it could be theory, could be poetry, could be scripture, yeah, yeah, and yeah, interpret yeah, yeah. it through your own body and through your own lens. So I, I oh, would say totally. it's absolutely auto-theoretical. Um, yes. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, I can hear squirrels in the background. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just saw a maniac running by, jumping at them. Um, well, I think what you just articulated, going back to the, like, the language threshold, like how you just described that, watching that two different ways and those connecting at the end yes yeah <laughs> yeah it was it was new for me i think because um this way of intellectualizing you know my way through the world is such a taught way of moving through the world it's from years and years of schooling and going through university and um i'm not saying that's good or bad it's just uh it was really useful to have a second tool at exactly. my disposal mm mm-hmm Exactly. And I, I feel the same way in terms of like, um, you know, my first university experience was economics, which as much as anything is just about giving you a specific lens through which to view things. And the way our system is like that lens becomes more and more ubiquitous to the point where I think people forget that it's a lens. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that you're you know. right. It's very, very easy to forget that you have a particular perspective. Yes. And it's not the only one because yes. it feels there's the, it's very difficult to uh, to have that distance between what is what feels real and what is a perceived truth, I guess. And, and to connect back to the dog, like the ability to watch this twice and switch the lens gives you so much more robust of a experience and for him it's it's sort of a way of um giving him agency mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that oh you actually have power over how you're perceiving things and shifting it from this kind of like chaotic swirling of reactionary emotions to something that starts to bit by bit, block by block, build into a world that 
makes a little bit more sense and your place in it and how you can um, adjust your your perspective and your lens to make things a little bit easier for you or, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, it is, it's incredible to, to feel like all these ideas are converging. It, it makes me want to use words like natural and universal. He loves using natural, objective and universal because he knows that it will get a rise out of me. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, like, Reading the book, I got this real um, feeling of her being backed into this corner mm-hmm. that um, I, I don't know. I came I come away with like so much inspiration and invigoration, invigoration and revitalization from what she's done, and I feel like the the, the being backed into the corner like really pushed her into that space of well I she's she's like she's clearly fluent with art critique and she knows like this is I don't want to be here but I don't want to be in this corner like I, I know these these accusations of narcissist and they're they're damning for somebody as an artist and I'm terrified of them but what's more terrifying than being backed in a corner and having these things leveled at me is being disconnected from art, from being disconnected from my capacity to express. And I just found that so fucking inspirational that it's like, it's horrible, but the the way she was able to kind of like, tra- you know, transpose this, really unfair circumstance into what she created is like okay so you you know the 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 bit in the show where i think dick says something like well there's no good film women filmmakers well unfortunately most films made by women aren't that good see i think it's really pretty rare for a woman to make a good film because they have to work from behind their oppression, which makes for some bummer movies. Sally Potter, Jane Campion, Chantal Ackerman. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then she just almost blows her lid and she just starts naming, you know. Yeah, yes. Jane Campion, Sally Jane Potter. Campion. Fuck. Yeah, exactly. And then there's this millisecond montage of clips from those films. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The piano, and Orlando. Yes. yes. Just like the most incredible films made by women exactly mm-hmm. and that was so um i feel like i don't know what the word for this thing is but this is like a hmm. see again it's it's hard to describe this when i don't know a word or a concept around it but okay. like the the feeling I get from reading her book and from seeing how she reacts to these really unfair circumstances is this is this energy to push forward myself mm-hmm. and and when I see that little montage and her defending these people and like what those people's films have given to her feels like the same thing you know this mm-hmm. um it's 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 evidence that things can be different that you know this this cloud of language and obfuscation that is so casual and normalized that you can just sort of flippantly say oh well you know there's not not really any evidence that they're good filmmakers like it's so vital to have these these rocks to cling on when the fucking waves are crashing onto you. I don't know. I think it's a really, um, I think it's a really that that tiny little scene that you're that montage that you're putting out, you're you're pointing out, is so nuanced and it's doing so much work. Um, yes. So, so initially, what Dick is calling her out on is that she's 
she's participating in exploiting artists by not wanting to pay for the music, um, not wanting to pay the musicians who, whose music feature in her film that's supposed to be a screening and is not going to be screened because of this at the Venice Biennale. No, the Venice Film Festival, sorry. Um, yeah. So there is a certain amount of like art world bullshit and gig culture that she has internalized Mm. And she's also internalized a certain amount of misogyny as well in order, because in, in order, like mm. th- this is just the way the art world is that you're expected to work for free. Um, so, so, so this, it's such an interesting setup for the scene where, where we are being shown that this is what the art world is like. And she's completely invested in it because she is perpetuating these kind of like mm. acts that undermine every artist, include, including herself. And like Dick calls her out on this. But he does it, and he does it in this, in this way that's so horrific. Like he calls her out on it only to undermine her. Yes. Uh, only to point out that like she is daring to play this game that is yes. designed for white cisgendered men to succeed in, and that that and that that to me was kind of like this this intense crux of it. Like how dare you have a go? at this at this game that that only we are allowed to succeed in where it's not been set up for you this is why women don't succeed because they're they're not supposed to play this game they're never going to succeed um and he knows that it's absolutely ludicrous that there are no good films made by females he's just all he's done is like uh and the filmmakers have done is they've set up this little scene to point out these like incredible um the, the incredible dissonance of what it is that she's yes. trying to do. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also the, the scene does this other thing that really winds me up because I've been caught in this linguistic trap before over and over again where um, she's trapped in his logic. He's set up this, this argument that she cannot logic she cannot get out of because he's completely trapped her within language mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. by saying you can't succeed because you you've got to do this thing and because you're doing this thing you can't succeed and even like it's devious what he does because he's mm-hmm. he's like he's like hey listen i get it like women have been oppressed but it's that oppression that is makes you a bad filmmaker because you can't see past it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just he's set up this logic that's impossible for her to um, that is impossible for her to speak back to. Her only recourse is to leave, is to leave that situation and find a different way of engaging with it. Which is when she comes back in and she's like, "All right, game on. I'm going to play your game," even though he's just pointed out that the game that she's playing is exploitative and is what is the cause of her oppression in the first place. So it just, yes. <laughs> it's just a complicated little scene that is done so well. Um, yes. I wanted to ask you, actually, um, so the other, obviously the other player in this scene is Sylvia, her husband. Um, Sylvia only, I, I discovered in my, my internet trawling yesterday, he only passed away in December of 2021, like last year. Yeah. Um, but he, so he's the other player in this scene. Um, and it's almost like he's being used to sort of show this, I don't know, it's like a false ally. Like he spends most of his time undermining Chris in order to be in Dick's good books. But at the same time, the language that he's using is supposedly supportive of her and of women. It's this really hollow, just shows this really hollow framework. But I wanted to ask you, um, how you found Sylvia differed in the book and in the this particular episode, because I haven't watched the other episodes yet. I'm, I've only seen him in this first episode. Um, because there's, yes. there's a huge difference to me in how that character is kind of, how that character operates. Because um, in the book, Sylvia is a, he's, he's a, an author in the book as well. Right, right. If that makes sense. Yes. Whereas he's not in the in the episode. Um. So I have a 
my impression of Silver is basically limited to the same scope because I've forgotten real any details from when I watched this the first time. But okay. uh, it's hard for me to answer your question. I'm really curious to hear what you have to say <laughs> because it's hard for me to answer because what happened last night was this um, real sense of affection for Silver mm-hmm. came up for me. That's so interesting. Yeah, I, and I think I'm still trying to like understand that mm-hmm. as a feeling, but I think what what where part of it came from is that so so understanding the idea of like Chris and how how essential having a voice is. Mm-hmm. And how essential words are, and and um, like th- words in a in a way that's um, constructive as opposed to destructive. Like w- the best parts of what words can do, mm-hmm. like feels extremely important to her. And I feel like she and Silver, like they're packing and she's like, that's too many books. And, and like, there's just a constant dialogue between them. And I feel like the, there is, um, that's so intimate. Yes. There's such a, a a touching level of intimacy to that. And yes, they have plenty of problems and there's all, all this other stuff wrapped around it, but that, that intimate connection of being able to speak to another person who's listening intently to what you're saying I don't know. I, I mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that that kind of just sort of unlocked Silver as a character for me. Where, um, even though, like you're saying, as soon as Dick is involved, like th- the the filmmaking, I think is brilliant in the oh, show too. And yes, we will get just into that. fucking yeah. <laughs> but just just how all of a sudden, like the lens shows, all of a sudden they're they're sitting like right next to each other as if they're like a panel of judges. Yes, um, yes. You know, it's just there is so the, evocative. <laughs> like The interrogation of it all. Yeah, yeah. and, and I think, I think I, I, I'm not sure, but I feel like, um, yeah, what you were saying is, is interesting, that he's... He's completely, he's, his whole, in a way, his whole identity is wrapped up in Chris and supporting her and how brilliant she is and, and blah, blah, blah. But the game is the game. And it's, as soon as this becomes a, um, we're, we're in the, you know, uh, <laughs> we're playing the game now. He's like immediately right there next to Dick. Yeah, um, he's got his game yeah. face on and he's, yeah. he knows wh- what his he role knows is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's so interesting that you mentioned the intimacy, the intimacy of their connection um, in this particular, in, in this first episode is mirrored like in the book because Chris points out in the book um, that because of the lack of sexual intimacy in their marriage, their only recourse is to have this personal intimacy where they tell each other everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that... Um, that Dick becomes both in the book and becomes clear in, in the in later on in the in the episode, Dick becomes this lens through which they can re-experience a different kind of intimacy, because it sort of meshes on so many levels. It meshes on their um their artistic, intellectual, academic inquiry into sort of form and function of language and um and articulating ideas, but also it satisfies their kind of like raunchy, erotic desires. This idea of having a menage en trois with someone who's possibly not consenting to this whatsoever (laughs) so it's just like I, I, I found that that was very consistent across the two art forms right but the Sylvia in the episodes in the television show I found much less likable um Personally, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. because I think because they were having to do a lot of work to set up like the shitty art world academic dynamic mm. that she is entering into. Whereas mm. I found in I Love Dick the book that that Silvera is a, a a conspirator, a co-conspirator, a collaborator. Yes. Um, yes. You know, he's he's authoring 
you know, he's authoring letters to Dick himself. He's he's engaged in this kind of fantasy world in an equal way to her. But she carries this project on alone once he once he pulls out of it. So I feel like he yeah, he he he's a different he's a, he he has a bit mm-hmm. more agency well, you know which maybe will show up later on in 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 the television series i'm not sure we'll find out mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and yeah i i wonder if this is that this is a good point to maybe chat about um the agency of of characters and author and narrator that is just rolling through this work these 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 parallel works i see the book and, and the tv series as parallel rather than as an of the same um because we know this there is set up in both of them this expectation that someone's telling the truth but we don't know that so we don't know yeah. Um, if we just if we just use the book as source material in and of itself, we haven't looked yep. at outside of it for any other information about these two people. Um, yep. We are being told that Silver has written these letters, that, that that this is his voice. But we can't we don't know that. We've just right. got to trust Chris because Chris is the only one, she's the only name on the front of this book. So yes. Silver's participation in this could be completely fictionalized. Yes. Um, However, I'll, I'll just, let me just interject one thing. Yeah. I think she does, she has, a, uses a few things that for me um, really uh, spoke to the trustworthiness of what she was saying because she would parenthetically say, I, I can't remember the exact examples, but she would parenthetically say, oh, when I went back and talked to this person about it, they remembered it differently. There's yes. a couple examples of that. So I'm like, okay, so like, like this is, yeah. But she's still, but she's still telling you that she's got corroborated evidence. Yes. If you see what yes. I mean. So like, this, Oh, completely. Yes. Which, which yes. I, I think is absolutely fascinating because there is, yes. because also there is this clear, there, there is a split between Chris, the author and Chris, the narrator, because sometimes Chris is talking about herself in the third person. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're invited outside of her mind to see things from like a godlike perspective, from the outsider's mm-hmm. perspective, which is the perspective that we think we see in the TV show, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. think we think that we see we're 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 on the outside watching Chris, right? Mm-hmm. But the director Joey Soloway does this incredible thing where we are actually invited into all the characters' perspectives. Mm-hmm. very very subtly and we don't necessarily know what is the truth so for example we get to see the first round of the dinner right we get to see dick behaving like dick and um Sylvia behaving like Sylvia and chris's responses to all of this but yes. then we get to see a second viewing yes. of that dinner yes. Of, yes. of chris like internalizing this and like eroticizing it and changing oh, yes. it and oh, yeah. and and how she how she perceived this oh, this yes. dinner is this like this this erotic performance this flirtation this um and and throughout throughout the TV episode we are offered different perspectives from different characters in this incredible way to the point where much like in the book it's difficult to locate a truth and i think that that's kind of mm-hmm. the point Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, wow. <laughs> yes. Fuck yeah. Um, Completely. Which, which I think is really, I think is, is, is really wonderful because it starts to undo um, this fixed lens, this expectation of what a female character should be, of how a man should react, of what we should be looking at and paying attention to. Um, did you happen to see, because I, I watched, I watched the... Um, series on Amazon Prime mm-hmm. and there's a the little byline in Amazon Prime that um, that says something along the lines of there uh, the, like the little blurb about the TV yep. show that yep. that says it's a Rashomon like um, narrative and I was like what is Rashomon have you ever come across this is that a book it's it's I didn't realize what is this. Rashomon so I've heard that so yeah. it's the Rashomon effect 
And it's from a film from the 1950s of the same name, Rashomon, by Uh the Japanese director Kurosawa. You know, the dude who inspired Star Wars. Basically, he he inspired so many Western films from his kind of oeuvre of of films. So, So it's a plot device that involves various characters providing subjective alternative and contradictory versions of the same incident how exciting so this um, <laughs> and that's yeah. a, the, that's exactly what is happening in the film is that you are you know yeah. i mean sorry not the film the, the the tv series is that you're sort of so far invited into dissonance of not of not knowing of being wrong-footed i think yes yes that's so interesting. I've heard I've heard of that before. I think it comes up on lists of you know great great you know films, but um, mm-hmm. I've never been interested because of how old it is. But for that to be what, yeah, that's that sounds um, worth checking out. Yeah, I mean that that is a real like as much as I love the book the the show is able to do some incredible things and the the changing of lenses that you're you're talking about um is so well done and and seeing like how how she uses um like chris's like how how the internal um existence of Chris is shown like the the scene of the, of the dinner being re-remembered and how yeah. beautifully you get drawn into that as a memory and, and mirroring your own sense of memory and how that can be um you know I noticed like the the chairs are now like this red velvet <laughs> yeah. that they're sitting on I'm like wow that is so true like and then and then just the 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 way um the 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 pace of the film filming changes so mm-hmm. it'll 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 devolve into like like when when she's outside of the house they're renting and just sort of like throwing this like anxiety tantrum about her film mm-hmm. and it just sort of devolves into these still images which is that, a device that is used almost like a segue point isn't it it's like it's everything's kind of broken down and now we're moving on to the exactly, next exactly exactly the next scene yeah it, I, I really enjoyed that too because it sort of it reminded you that you were watching something that it's not that it was that the first clue into oh this is we're not going to get a straight narrative here completely yes there's another one where it's it's a it freezes on dick's kind of like s- smiling face seductive face for a second mm-hmm. did, did the exact same thing it's like we've we've been put in this mood again of like how sensual all these touches are and all this stuff and then to freeze on this face kind of brings you back into oh okay this is this is a constructed Fantasy. image yeah exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> and constructed for several reasons and this is this is what the second viewing did for me was mm-hmm. made me realize that um I can, we can deconstruct this intellectually all we like, but sometimes you don't want to remember an event, how it was, because it's painful. Mm. So mm-hmm. it needs to be changed in your mind in order to deal with the shame or the anger or the anxiety that it needs to be changed in your mind in order to move forward with these relationships with the situation that she finds herself in. God damn, I feel like if you could measure... Um what people's brains are doing all the time and you, mm-hmm. that would be a huge part of it <laughs> yeah absolutely i'm just gonna go back and photoshop this in my brain <laughs> um i wanted to check in with you about um the <laughs> i've got a lot to say about the uh the erotic cowboy fantasy at the <laughs> end of the episode <laughs> um i (laughs) i was at first i was like what what is this we get to see kevin bacon as dick 
getting up out of bed. He rolls a mm-hmm. cigarette. He's got an almost empty bottle of tequila next to his bed. Mm-hmm. Like Chris mm-hmm. has just said in this in this letter to him that that has or hasn't been sent to him, but may or may not be sent. Um, I want to know what your bed looks like or your bedroom looks like. So it's hard to know if we're seeing mm-hmm. Dick's bedroom, if we're seeing her fantasized idea of Dick, or if we're seeing Dick's fantasized idea of Dick, this kind of like uber masculine, I'm going to ride a horse in, <laughs> down, down, down the middle of the high street, cowboy mm-hmm. guy lives on a ranch, like so uber masculine, so American. Um, mm-hmm. But then, and he lights a cigarette, and then he walks to this kind of dip pool that he's got, looking out on the prairie, and mm-hmm. he starts to strip, and he walks into mm-hmm. the water, and then he submerges himself, and it is like, it's it's like Mills and Boone porn, like soft porn. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. But, but it's it, it's so it was so interesting because I was like, why is this here? What is what is this functioning as? It, it's it made me a little bit uncomfortable. Because I, it was doing what I found really uncomfortable about most films that objectify women. It objectifies this this male figure who's who's objectifying him. Like, why is he being made to be this erotic object? Um, and as I was doing a little bit more research on on Joey, mm-hmm. Joey Soloway, mm-hmm. um, they had done this really interesting um, lecture for the Toronto International Film Festival in 2016, I think. Did, oh, cool. Did you, have you come across this at all? Um, no. So it's, it's Joey talking about um, the female gaze. Now there's, there's and she, she's like, gaze, G-A-Z-E, not the female gaze, G-A-Y-Z-S. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And we, you know, I think that we've all heard about the male gaze, um, the female gaze, it's not, it's not really a thing. So she was sort of trying to, sorry, they, they were trying to sort of, um, flesh out this concept of the female gaze, which I, I think this, this erotic cowboy scene does really well. So initially what the female gaze, you think of it as, as, is like, Oh, well, it's the reversal of the male gaze. The male gaze is the the lens through which we always see women in most culture throughout the history of film and television and novels that we see women through a male's perspective. Um, And that's usually objectifying of women. Women become the object and the man, the man, the the male gaze is the subject, is the subjective. Um, So you would, you would think that the female gaze would be this turning the tables on the man. It would be women objectifying the, the objectification of the man through the female gaze. And so so that seemingly is what this this erotic cowboy scene is doing. But when you go further into this kind of this talk that Soloway has given, it's actually it's it actually becomes this piss take of it, it's this it's this piss take of what people think is empowering for women. If we have a female gaze, then it must be objectifying men because that's that's you know that's the way to to equalize this idea of the gaze. But what she talks about the female gaze as being is in three parts. So it's a way of capturing feeling seeing like a subjective camera that attempts to get inside the protagonist, um, mm. especially when they're not cisgendered. Um, so it's about uh, it's about trying to capture an embodied experience where emotions are prioritized over action, which is pretty much pretty much Ursula Le Guin's carrier bag theory, right? Instead of doing a stabby stabby McStabby hero's journey, you're looking mm-hmm. at the the body as the vessel for the mm-hmm. sort of for the film, for the plot, for the narrative. The the um, and then mm-hmm. they go on to say mm-hmm. the female gaze then use the camera to show how it feels to be the object of the gaze. So this is flipping it back, right? So it lets us know what it's like to be looked at, to be objectified. It, it, it kind of throws it, throws it one further. Um, and then thirdly, the female gaze, this is the most important part, um, that Soloway says, the female gaze dares to return the gaze. You're looked back at the what the person who the 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 gender the the gender that is usually the object 
gets to look right back through the camera and knows that it's being objectified and stares right back. And mm. I, that's mm-hmm. what I think mm-hmm. that this, that this, that this erotic cowboy scene is. It's the, it's the reversal. It's the flip. It's the, it's a piss take of the male gaze. The, the, sorry, it's a piss take of what we traditionally think of as the female gaze, which is just objectifying men. And it's actually saying, we see you. We, we see how people are objectified and they are, um, uh, they become objects. And, and I think that Soloway's filmmaking is trying to reclaim the, the internal, the, the, the female gaze. It's trying to kind of shine a spotlight on how, how film is structured in such a way that it, um, that it, that it objectifies, um, so yeah, that was quite, I got quite a lot out of that one tiny seed. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, yeah, it ties into what you were saying too about the game on um, rules of this game and like, mm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. that type of... Wow. Um... <laughs> Sorry, it's quite it's quite a lot to process. This was me sitting in my bed yesterday, going, "Holy shit balls!" This is yeah. so. This is this is a quote from Joey Soloway. Yeah. Um, the, the, that just sums up the female gaze. It's about how it feels to stand here in the world, having been seen our entire lives. Mm. And so the character mm. of the character of Chris. Because it's not Chris Krause, it's the character of Chris Krause, um, is moving through this world where she's always being seen in a particular way. She's always mm-hmm. being seen through this this male lens, and having yep. to do shitty things like like totally buy into not paying musicians for their work in her film, yep. like having to sort of having to play this masculine game. And I think that this. Completely, like, like that whole scene of her coming out and getting ready and saying, "How do I look?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's and not. Just... It's so loaded, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and Sylvia's like, "Come on, then. I love you know. Let's fuck." And then she's like, "Well, that's not actually what I wanted." It's like yeah. a full. It's a full retraction of that. It's this game that gets played over and over again between them. There. It, it. Yeah. It, it. That that shit was so funny when <laughs> she's like, "Oh no," and the voice is dropping like. <laughs> And Catherine Hahn is an incredible actress. Yes. Just fantastic. Um, I saw her recently in um, WandaVision. Mm-hmm. Um, and I that, haven't seen that. Well, it's the, it's the first time I've sort of seen her in something quite, quite as commercial. I must say I'm not as super familiar with her, but like mm-hmm. um, she, yeah, she's just got such a range, such a scope. She's, um, she plays a, a rabbi in Joey Soloway's other series, Transparent? I haven't seen it, um, mm. but I've seen that it's got a lot of, it won a lot of Emmys. I think it was really, you know, praised, yeah. but also with, um, like, what am I trying to say? Um, it's not without flaws as well, from what I understand. I think it's it's in that territory of... Um, discussing and putting out representations of things that people are very passionate about Mm -hmm. how they should be. And, um, I mean, I fucking love Joey Salloway and will watch anything that Joey makes ever. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not surprising to me that like, all the stuff you're saying about female gaze. Like I remember an interview where Joey was talking about like, (sighs) talking about like gender identity stuff. Mm -hmm. And I found it really, really relatable in the sense that Joey was just like, I just can't like, it's not that big of a deal to me in some ways. Like I just, I just kind of like want to wear certain types of clothes and like that can't just be done because it's part of this huge thing of like, what are you? And you know, what is this, what does this mean? And, and hyper analyzing everything. And, um, Joe is just like, 
I'm tired of like wearing clothes to get a certain reaction. I like these other clothes because they're more comfortable and like, but, but that, that can't be it. Like it's got to be much more of a robust and well thought out type of a stance because. Because it's so political. It's so political and, and yeah, you're representing so much by doing these things and yeah. Which is one of the, um, one of the difficulties of having any kind of visibility is that you immediately, from what I understand, it's very easy to become a, um, what is the word? Not the, like the, the rep, like the only rep, if you're the only rep, like ver, like yeah. the, the only visible person who represent, you yes. become, you become the, the representation for an entire group. The archetype. Yeah, That's exactly. It. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, um, Natalie Wynn from ContraPoints has spoken about this mm. quite a lot as well. The difficulty of, of being the only one who's visible in a particular community, um, mm-hmm. and having mm-hmm. to hold a lot of opposing, conflicting ideas about what that identity should be. Um, mm-hmm. Fuck, I couldn't do it. <laughs> the, the the responsibility and the pressure must be immense, absolutely immense. Um. I can I tell you can I tell you a little bit about my my first breeding my first reactions to the the TV episode? <laughs> yes, please. Have you ever seen the film The Square? It's it's a it's it's Is a, that Egypt. It's um. No. It's set in. I don't think I have. Oh, it's 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 got Elizabeth Moss in it. It's set in a oh. in a. Um, she's not the main character though. I I should have done, I should have written down who the director was. Um, but it's basically set in a public art institution, and it's it's very much kind of uh, a parody. Mm-hmm. But it's so I seen it. it's so close that it's uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> and most people I know I was are, wondering about this like the the scene where they go to the 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 opening party and you mm-hmm. get to hear all these different conversations that are happening yeah oh god it was I've literally read oh god it's making me cringe much like watching the square where it's so I mean obviously I love dick the tv episode has been updated to the 21st century because there are Yes. Like Ubers uh, are referenced and smartphones are being used, whereas I Love Dick is set in the 1990s, the late 90s, mid, yes. mid-90s. Um, and also it was very interesting when I read the book, I was the same age as the character Chris Krauss um, in the book. Uh, so I found a whole, there's a whole lot of things mm-hmm. in this piece of writing and in the, the, the TV series that demographically I find like so, so close to the bone, like her time mm-hmm. in New Zealand, mm-hmm. her experiences in the art world as a woman trying to, trying to have a, you know, a, a, an academic career. Um, yep. But, oh God, uh, I just cringed the whole way through the first watching, both at the art world sort of depiction and the academic conversations that they're just... It was, it was, there was some hysterical moments of commentary on the art world. Like, um, you can't take partners to residencies. Like it's really rare to, because, because for the longest time, and it's still very much this way, um, artist residencies are designed for people who don't have families or who don't have to pay the rent at home, or you get a stipend to go on these, these residencies, but that's not going to cover your rent back at home. You're supposed to use that money to live and make artwork on. It's all... Or just the the embedded idea that um, the source of everything is some internal spring. Exactly. That if you remove all the context, you can get that to to bubble up more purely. Like, oh, which is all the shit that people were talking about with like at the beginning of the pandemic. There's going to be the new 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 Shakespearean equivalents being written because we're going to be able to lock ourselves away in our house and not be affected by the outside world. Right. Um, yeah. What was the other one? Um, oh, some of the stuff like um, the fact that nothing worked in the flat when they arrived. <laughs> There's still this, all this stuff is so so under resourced, and yet there was enough money for like wine and booze at this opening. Um, and oh, um, also like the language that Sylvia was using when he was speaking about his research at the dinner table, like like the materialism of trauma and how 
Dick was kind of like slightly taking the piss out of this even though he's the one who has orchestrated this intellectual kind of community in this particular place it, like the mm-hmm. the the inauthenticity of it or mm-hmm. the um mm-hmm. just the mm-hmm. <laughs> the 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 cynicism Kyle that that, yeah. that just hit me it hit me and I think that maybe that's what was too close to the bone. Yeah. The real, uh, the cynicism that looked like parody, but is actually apparent when you move through these kinds of spaces. Um, I, I mean, I could feel it being too close to your bones as I was watching it. Um, <laughs> you were, you were um, in, in sympathetic watching. I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I also thought that episode one was a bit more like a preface to the book. Because in the book, we launch yeah. straight in to the moment where they're writing the letters. Yes. There is this kind of provided, I guess the first episode, because it had to act as a pilot, provided like a, um, yeah, they needed to provide some kind of context for this world and what it is that she's operating in and against. And what she's also um, like colluding on as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I really enjoy that um, preface quality to it, and and kind of um, in particular how much more it feels like we get to see Dick in this than the book. Um, like, regardless of the really interesting questions about what lens we're seeing dick through and what is trying to be communicated like that i think that was a crucial part to me in that in that um burst of affection for silver Mm -hmm. is seeing okay i've got a few things to say about this i'll just start with this one seeing dick wake up rub his head like you said there's the tequila bottle there and like all these sort of like romantic signifiers of cowboyness. Yeah. But the contrast of that and him getting in this pool, complete silence. The contrast of that to the the constant nattering of Chris and Silver mm-hmm. of co-processing everything together, like that was such a a, a powerful contrast for me. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I really appreciated that that the, the scope in which we're getting into Dick's life. Um, yeah, I thought um, there was this really uh, okay. So the contrast yeah. of Sylvia in the book to the the, the TV show. Uh, similarly, the contrast of Dick in the book to the TV show. In the book, he comes mm-hmm. across as a quite amiable sort of fellow. Like, uh, whereas in this episode, there, there, it's so, he's so unlikable. He's so, um, he's such a, almost like a caricature. Mm-hmm. Like he embodies the, the, the archetype of the cowboy as his caricature. But at the same time, it's almost like he's just, it's almost like he's a mirror for Chris so that she can see herself. He's not a he's not a rounded character, um, whereas Sylvia feels like a much more rounded, complicated character, and that you've got that, you like mm-hmm. you say you've got that intimacy, you've got that co-processing that happens together, but the only time and when when Chris is walking through this swathe of like arty academicy people at this party, the only time that she is ever Chris Kraus. She's not the um, mm-hmm. the the Holocaust wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is when she gets to introduce herself to Dick, and yes. there is no other sound around them, yes. and she's got his full attention. She's in her yes. own power, and then as soon as he finds out, <laughs> oh squirrel! Um, <laughs> as, soon, <laughs> as soon as he finds out that she's married and she's married to Sylvia, um, yep. his attention goes. Yep. And we realize that she's only held this power, this attention in this moment, not because of herself, but because of her sexuality, because she holds some kind of like erotic interest to him. And as soon as she's no longer available, 
she the power dissipates but we're initially invited into thinking that she holds power because she names herself somehow but it's not that at all and then the sound the ambient sound comes back in and he she can't even hold his attention he's gone completely yeah. gone yeah. he's walking away yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so he's just it's like he's a it's like he's a hollow villain like i can't yeah. wait to see how this evolves yeah. over the over the rest of the the, the series that's so interesting so cuz i read um i read that hollowness as as going completely hand in hand with how stylized he is mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that that um I guess I'm I'm sort of like piecing all these things together in my head about like what is Chris seeing like what what about Dick has it's you know sparked this whole thing and mm-hmm. I the best story I have for myself now is that um she sees something in there when he's given when he when he is attentive mm-hmm. there is something in there that um knows that is self-aware of the inauthenticity of all of this, that that, that this is all a game Mm -hmm. Um, and that she craves being able to, to plug into that and see what is, see, see what's there, like find that. Um, But, but the layers of style, it's, it's like, it's almost like stylistic armor that he wears where, um, it's impenetrable because it's impe- it's so impenetrable. Yeah, exactly. And he gets where she is antagonized and confronted with the rules of the game. He has used the rules of the game to his benefit in every possible way. Where you like the first time she glimpses him is on this horse in town, just the amount that he's able to harness from you know all the all the defaults of popular culture into being you know everyone is instantly rever- reverential to him because of all these things that he's able to harness and it's it's sort of like a counter to her in, in i think what you're describing in this sort of mirrored like way um yeah i really i really really like that because it um it allows for a bit more of a like a meta reading as well of what he represents for like a wider on a wider scale he is you're right he's the default he's the he's the the person in 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 our society who everything is completely framed for sculpted for is you know to be easeful life is easeful for him um yeah i i think there's also the you touched on something there which i want to maybe drill into a little bit more yeah. which is that she's you've said that she sees this moment of like authenticity or or the or maybe like someone else who can smell the bullshit behind the veil yeah. right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but she has this intimate relationship with sylvia and it's obvious that they they talk about everything that that she's a smart woman he's a smart man that they they would have had these conversations about how bullshit the art world is and the academic world is and how they've got to hustle. So like what she's looking for, she's already got, she's already got someone to have these conversations mm-hmm, with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. I, I think what's, yeah, I feel like what's different is, and what's so alluring is that that, that nugget is dressed in denim. It's that, that, <laughs> that nugget is like to, to have, to have um, exploited all the defaults so thoroughly and so coolly, but also know that they're all bullshit is, I think, super fascinating. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I wondered then if there was a, you know, the, the moment where he turns away from her at the party and she's yeah. like scrambling to like get her to see him again or come to dinner. Can we invite you to dinner? Um, yeah. And he just he just kind of lands a see you at eight casually and off he glides. Um, it's sort of like straight out of the rule books of um, like gaming women for dates. 
It's like yeah. that that awful nagging culture where right. you you tear apart a woman in order to make her vulnerable, so that then yes. she will take whatever scraps she can get. Um, Completely. So he he and that's there's painful scenes of that in the book where she's like, "Do you want me here?" And he's like, "Well, I don't not want you here." Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I just I worry about um, like. In her exposing this at the time, like I don't, I just don't think the culture would have been there to to see it for what it is. There wasn't even yeah. the, the word "negging" didn't even exist. There wasn't even language yeah. for this. Um, it's it's like the experience for me of watching films that I loved in the nineteen nineties as a teenager, and watching them now and being horrified by the messaging that I was very very eagerly absorbing and replicating in my own life um yes so there's just this there is a 1990s sort of socio-political uh like uh what i want to say like web going on inside this book that i just want to acknowledge um we've got a very different perspective on it now from 2022 to 1995 i think but fascinating i think this connects back to what we were talking about in the beginning which is that in a way, she, had she not been backed into this corner, there's no way she could have done this. Like, the the only way she was able to craft what she crafted was by describing what was happening inside of her. Because as you're saying, there the language didn't exist. Mm -hmm. The context was not there. If you, you couldn't have intended to... To, to write something like this. It had to have come from a place... Yeah, I, I mean... It had to come from a place of um, trying to get perspective. Yeah. Trying to get a perspective on her life and what was happening to her and what she was complicit in. Um, and, I mean, that, I mean that's, that's pretty much And a it. desperation. A yeah. desperation to kind of... I don't care what happens. I need to see this as it is for mm -hmm. my own, you know, however much I'm going to die if I don't do this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, someone who's just the, the system doesn't allow room for her. And she is in a very, you know, sort of comparatively privileged position. In, within the art world, within the, you know, the quote-unquote men whose arm that she she is on going through, you know, the, the access that she has to certain people, is it's a very privileged position. But at the same time, mm -hmm. it reveals, you know, the book, and I'm assuming the TV series as it, as it kind of, as I watch it, well, just reveals how monstrously difficult those structures are to operate in, even when you are right at the top of the pecking order. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think the um, one aspect of the book that I really liked in its, in how it rounded things out and grounded it in a world that, that made sense to me was her talking about like finances, yeah. talking about, how how she scraped by and the fact that she's managed to buy these properties and is renting them out and like that all too is like this microcosm of like i'm trying to to you know <laughs> like yeah fund this lifestyle i'm trying yeah. to make my work and i've got to yes the 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 thing is it's not that's not unusual this this is something that is absolutely a through line to today it's just this idea of you've got to hustle there's no there's no funding there's no support yes. um yes and i i can completely identify with this having to stay in a relationship because your chosen career just doesn't have the finances to support you to make decisions in your life otherwise um mm -hmm. So there's there's some mm -hmm. there's vulnerability and there's practicalities um, all rolled into this kind of quite epic book and TV yes. series. Yeah, and she's both you know she's both oppressed and financially 
unstable and destitute and also a landlord and you know and completely participating in you know the the oppression of others and describing this dead talent where people are either dying on you know ods or like you know survival is like a completely different level than what she's dealing with yeah absolutely um i thought just i wanted to ask you right at the beginning they make a drive from New York to Texas seemed like nothing. I looked it up. It's no, very, very 32 <laughs> hour drive from yeah. New York to yeah. Marfa. Oh yeah. my goodness. And it just, yeah. so it just put it into perspective. I was like, that style of communication between Chris and Sylvia, you get the sense that it just never stopped. The talking, never stopped. Yeah. The talking mm-hmm. never stopped. 32 hours of just intense. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. What do you think? I think that that's great. I've really it's pretty good. Pretty... <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty in depth for a first shot at I Love Dick. Yes, it is. There's one thing I want to add, which is um, I just saw this note I'd written about that that little montage we discussed where she was recalling the female directors. Yes. That. Um, and I know we're going to talk about this a lot more, the idea of like transgressing. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, that, that feel that felt like people lifting each other across time and space into disobedience mm-hmm. and what that, how difficult it is to be, to exist in disobedience and how much nurturing we need from other people across space and time to exist in that space. I cannot wait to get into you, into you, into that with you. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great, that's a great um, slip. Like when she says, I'm I'm, I'm straddling 40. I'm straddling 40. I'm straddling 42. No, I'm straddling 40. I'm not 42 yet. (laughs) Uh, Awesome. Holy shit, you made it to the end. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to Thinking With. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to be updated on the next season. A five-star rating and review will help get our stories out to more people. Thank you so much.